you to turn with me. Uh, if you have a Bible or electronic device, however you get God's Word, um, you can either uh, click to or turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We've been in this series, this book of Ephesians, and, and the series has been called uh, Learning to Love. And uh, we're coming to the last message of this series, which I'm entitling Stay Alert, that in the Christian life, that Paul comes to the end of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, and following, and he comes to that part of the message to where he says, finally. And so he has some final words. In other words, he begins summing up the book of Ephesians, and he, been, he begins helping us, he began helping them to understand why the book of Ephesians was so important, why it's so important to put these things in place. And the Apostle Paul says, because you need to understand that we're in a, we're in a spiritual battle. That the battle is fierce and that you have to come to the place in your life and in your Christian life to where you understand that and you're willing to stay alert. I mean, it, it, it's really true in other areas of life, right? It's easy to become complacent in some things, especially complacent in some small things, some com, uh, complacent in some things that we normally do. I mean, remember when you first started to drive and how intense you were when you first got your driver's license, like 10 and 2, and there's like no distractions and totally focused on the road and looking both ways and all those other stuff? Well, you know what? You start driving for a while and it's easy to get complacent. Before long, you're text messaging, you're emailing, you're checking email, you're sending faxes, you're receiving faxes, you're eating lunch, you're eating breakfast, you're getting dressed, you're putting on makeup, you're doing all those things, right? Because we, we get complacent and it's just dangerous not to stay alert. Uh, the same is true in marriage, right? It's easy to, to become complacent if you're not careful. Remember when you first got married and you were like attentive to each other's needs and thoughtfulness and all of those other things. But if you've been married any length of time, it, it, if you're not careful, you'll become complacent. And you'll no longer be attentive to somebody else's needs. The same is true in war, right? Uh, many historians tell us that one of the reasons that the Japanese were so successful in attacking our shores is because we became complacent and we, know, and we did not believe that anybody would ever attack our shores. The same is true at 9-11, right? We became complacent. We never believed that someone would take airplanes and use them as weapons and crash them into buildings. It becomes easy what Paul was worried about. It becomes easy in the Christian life if you're not careful to become complacent, especially with those of us that have been around church any length of time to where we've heard most of the sermon topics. We've read a lot of the scripture. We know scripture. We know all those things. And what Paul is saying, if you're not careful, you'll become complacent. But his warning is this in Ephesians chapter 6 as he closes this, this, this book out to the, the people there at Ephesus. He had ministered to them for a long time. He deeply loved them. And he, he's like, I just want to warn you. Stay alert with all perseverance that the battle is real. The battle is strong. And I just want to encourage you to stay alert. I want to walk through Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10 with you. And I want to look at these principles about the reason that we stay alert, the reason that we understand this, the reason that we understand, the reason that we stay alert. The first one is this. He says, to stay alert, you better be strong in the Lord. In other words, you better understand that the battle is real. And then he goes in verse 10, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now listen, it's so interesting when you look at this command when he says be strong in the Lord, that is a passive command. That means that it's God's battle, not yours. That means that you don't supply the strength, God supplies the strength. And we are going, we, we have to understand what Paul says. 
is that our battle is not against people. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. But our battle is a spiritual battle. And our battle was a dark and an evil spiritual world. In verse 12, he begins to flesh that out to help us understand. And he says, for we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Listen, let me tell you something, regardless of what you think this morning, your battle is not against people. That worst person in your life is not your problem. That person may be a vehicle that Satan is using to distract you, to discourage you, to rob you of your joy and all those other things, but I just need to tell you, Paul kept telling us, stay alert and understand that we do not battle against people. We do not battle against governments. We do not battle against flesh and blood. But that Satan is like this supernatural enemy. And our fight is not with people. Our fight is with a dark spiritual world. And there's this unseen spiritual battle going on. Satan in the scriptures is called the prince of this world. See, his goal is not only to entice you to sin, to distract you. His goal also is to gain control over all the influences in the world. And we're watching him do that right now. I don't need to go through illustration after illustration to explain to you that our world is getting darker and darker. It is getting more and more evil. And what Paul is saying is, is in the day of evil, remember he said that in Ephesians, in the day of evil. Remember, your battle is a spiritual battle. And you better remember what you're up against. Three times in Ephesians 6, Paul tells us that our goal in spiritual battle is just to stand firm. That means to, to, means to hold the ground that Jesus has already won for us. Listen, just so we're clear this morning, because I know sometimes when we get in talking about this issue of spiritual warfare in the church, things get weird, and it doesn't have to get weird. You just have to walk through Scripture together. And I want to tell you this, that no matter what you've been taught, no matter what someone has said, the Bible never tells us that it's our job to attack Satan. The Bible tells us this, we, we stand firm. We take up and we put on. It tells us to use the armor of God so we have the peace of God in our life. And our job is to stand firm on the, on the ground that Jesus has already won. And so, just so we're tracking this morning, remember that, that we are fighting from victory, not for victory. Because the victory has already been won. And the, one of the reasons that I believe that the church has so many discouraged and defeated Christians on its hands is because they're, they're fighting the wrong battles. They're still trying to fight Satan. And that's not our battle. Our battle is to stand firm. Remember Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 when Paul said, guess what? God has already blessed you with every spiritual blessing. You just need to learn how to appropriate that in your life. And so Paul is saying that to stay alert, the first thing is this, is you be strong in the Lord, not, not your strength, not your wisdom, not any of this. You just learn to stand. You just learn to stand firm. The second thing is this, is if we're going to stay alert and we're not going to get complacent, um, the second thing is this, we have to learn to put on the whole armor of God. And we got to learn what that is. We got to know what that is. And listen, some of you here this morning, this may be the first time you've ever heard of the armor of God. And so that is okay. 
Fact is, we are glad you're here because all of us had to start out at that point. All of us had to come to the point where we understood, not only understood or knew about the armor of God, but we understood what it was. And so verse 11, Paul says this, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Listen, I'm just, that, that word schemes in the Greek is the Greek word methodeia. It's where we get our word method from. Yes, Satan has a method. Satan has a plan. And one of the reasons that we put on the armor of God is because of that plan. But the good news is this. God has given us all the necessary tools for, for victory. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And we have to come to the place where we understand what does it mean to put on the armor of God so that I have the peace of God in my life. Because it's the peace of God in your life that allows you to stand firm. It's the peace of God in your life that allows you to walk through trials and walk through difficulty in your life. And so Paul says, verse 13, he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, not just part of it, not just some of it, but you take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by, here we go, by the gospel of peace, the peace of God, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is... The Word of God. I want to walk through the armor. See, when Paul was writing in his day, everybody knew what a Roman soldier looked like. Everybody understood that. They, they knew the armor. They knew the, the, the battle attire that they wore. And in our culture, we may not quite understand that. We may not understand how it relates to the spiritual armor of God. The first one is this. The first apparatus was this, the belt of truth. You see, a Roman soldier would wear this belt that came across their midsection. It was foundation uh, to, to, to the armor. It, it kept the breastplate in place. It kept things in place. It, it was a belt where all of their weapons hung off of, all of their essential tools hung off of. And without that belt, they could not fight. And for us, for the believer is this, what is foundational for us is God's word. Where we come to the place that we don't ever waver from the fact that, that we have God's word in our hand. And his word is true. Because Satan is the author of lies and every day in our world we're being bombarded by Satan's propaganda and they're just lies. When you're up against an enemy that is trying to take away your joy and, 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 and maybe some relationships and meaning and purpose and your future and all of those other things, you'd better not go out to battle without knowing that God's word is true. And I believe in our society this belt is becoming more and more important. In today's world, in today's culture, we have some buzzwords that are really cool to throw around. That there's no such thing as absolute truth, so we like to say, you know what, everything's relative. And we like to use the word tolerance, right? Tolerance and relative truth is the popular terms of today. That you know what, there's no such thing as absolute truth. That you know what, may be true for you, that's your truth and that's cool with me and what is true for me is my truth and that should be cool for you. Isn't it interesting when we get into spiritual realms uh, that, that we don't believe in absolute truth or the world doesn't believe in absolute truth, but when you get into other areas of life, we want absolute truth, right? Anybody want to go into surgery with a surgeon that doesn't, with a surgeon that doesn't believe in absolute truth? You want to be laying on the table and you hear your surgeon say, you know what, 
I think I'll cut here. I got some surgeon buddies and they, they say I should cut over here, but you know what? That's truth for them. That's not truth for me. I went to medical school and I studied for 12 years. And I know what they say and I know what the books say, but you know what? That is truth for them. That is not truth for me. I think I'll just cut here and see what happens. When I go in, you know, if they're going to cut on me, I want a black and white surgeon, right? I want guy or, or lady that absolute truth and believes in absolute truth. Anybody want to be flying on an airplane and your airline pilot says, you know what, we're going in for landing. Nobody's going to tell me what, what runway to land on, what gate to pull up to, or any of that other stuff. I'm going to do whatever. I, it'd be chaos, right? But yet people want to come into the spiritual world and say there's no such thing as absolute truth. And what Paul is trying to get us to understand is this issue, this belt of truth, that God's Word is true and you can stake your life on it, is critical in the Christian life. It's critical in our world. Because I'm watching Satan defeat so many Christians because how they feel is more important than what God's Word says. Be very careful of the man and be very careful of the woman that says, you know what? I just cannot see a God who I think God is like this. I think God accepts this. Telling you, this belt of truth that his word is true is critical. Second thing is this, a breastplate of righteousness. I mean, a Roman soldier would have this, this breastplate that they would wear, and it would cover their vital organs uh, so that they went into battle, that they were protected, but in spiritual warfare... Our protection is this. We're covered, watch, we're covered in Christ's righteousness. He's talking about our salvation. Now listen, there's a lot of Christians that, that, that believe only one thing happens at the moment of salvation. At the moment of salvation, a lot of Christians believe that the only thing that happens is that your sins are forgiven, that your sins are covered, and because of that you have eternal life. But that's not the only thing that happens at salvation. There's something else that happens at the most salvation that is so deep and so important. Listen, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, yes, all of your sins have been forgiven and but Christ also gave you his righteousness. When you met Christ, he forgave you of your sins, and God credited Christ's righteousness to your spiritual account. Listen, you have the righteousness of Christ. You're in right standing. You're in right standing with him. And of course... We fail at times. And of course, we act unrighteous. But First John tells us in those moments that if we're faithful and we confess our sins and we repent that He is faithful to forgive us and we, we go on. Here's the good news about the breastplate of righteousness. You don't lose the breastplate of righteousness because you blow it. Because you fail. You have the righteousness of Christ. Right, listen, the righteousness of Christ is not something you practice. It's not something you're working towards. It is your identity. It is who you are in Christ. Forty times in Scripture, the Word tells us His love endures forever. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. It doesn't tell us His love endures until you fail. His love endures until you blow it. You have the righteousness of Christ. You're totally complete in Him. You are perfect in Him. 
You are deeply loved in him. To where in the morning you pray a prayer. And you say, Lord, you know, today I accept who I am in Christ. And I thank you that I've already been made righteous. And I, I just ask that you just help me today to live up who I already am. Another piece of the armor is this. It's shoes for your feet. That may seem weird. That what is up with shoes for your feet? You know, when we moved to Colorado, I realized when I started fly fishing and hiking how important good shoes really are. Like with a, a good aggressive tread and some of those other things because it's easy to slip. It's easy to fall. In battle, a Roman soldier, in fact, is the shoes that they wore were just a very important piece of their armor because they were some special shoes that only they had. And on the soles of their, of, the, of their shoes were some metal studs so that when they went into battle, it's what gave them security. It's what made them secure. Because see, what would happen in battle, if a Roman soldier ever fell, it, it would be fatal. It, it would be their death because you would never want to fall in battle. And it's the shoes for your feet that gives you sure-footedness in spiritual battle. And, and when you go through difficult times and when you go through those storms of life, that you can have the, the peace of God in your life. Ephesians 5.15 says this. He says, And shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given with the gospel of peace. I hope you understand this morning that there's a difference between peace with God and the peace of God. Peace with God is something that happens at the moment of salvation. That prior to salvation, your sins separated you from God. Uh, scripture talk about being an enemy, uh, all of those other things. And then when you accept Christ, Scripture says that Christ comes into your life, that you've been adopted into the family, you're no longer a slave, you're a son or you're a daughter of the living God. And that's peace with God. See, the, the armor gives you the peace of God. So when you go through those challenges of life, those difficulties of life, those storms of life, it's the peace of God that makes your feet secure. It's the peace of God that protects your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Watch this, Philippians 4, 7. That's what Paul says, and he says, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's probably one of, the, one of the verses that I claim the most for my daughters and still to this day. May God, would, would your peace just protect their heart and mind? You just protect their heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Another piece of the armor was a, was a shield of faith and Roman soldiers would, would carry this shield and it was, about a, it was about four and a half feet square shield. The shield was so shield was so large that that it not only covered their body, but it kind of it overlapped and kind of covered the the body of the soldier next to them. See how they used the shield of faith was this: is when they got into battle, the the Roman soldiers would line up shoulder to shoulder, shield to shield, and what would happen is the shields would overlap and overlap, and it would it would provide protection for all of them when the arrows came, when the darts came, when all of the when the enemy came, it provided protection. You know what that's a picture of? That's a picture of the local church. That's a picture of life groups. 
That's a picture of being in community with one another where you love each other, you pray for one another, you encourage one another, you explain scriptures to one another, all of those other things that were in this together. There's no such thing. fact is, in their time, there was no such thing as, as like long ranger soldiers, none of that. They fought in battle together. And I, I grew up in Texas, and so, uh, so like, like Westerns was a, was a big deal to us. And uh, like John Wayne was like our state hero. I... I was still crushed when, when we, we took a vacation one time in San Antonio, Texas, and we went, to see the, we went to the Alamo. And I was just so crushed as a young kid when I realized that John Wayne really didn't fight there. I mean, it was just like, I mean, John Wayne was, was huge to us. But, but you, remember, remember the Westerns? And I don't know. I mean, we watched a lot of Westerns. But remember the wagon train? Remember when they're going across the plains? And all of a sudden the Indians would come? And so once the Indians would come, what'd they do? They, they, they would take the wagons and they would circle up the wagons. Why? For protection. So they'd circle up the wagons for protection. And then sooner or later, a couple of Indians would like go off to the side and they'd light a, an arrow. And they'd shoot this flaming arrow. And they didn't shoot it at the cowboys. What'd they shoot it at? They shot, they shot it at a wagon. And they shot it at the canvas on the wagon. Why did they do that? They did that for two reasons. One, to distract the cowboys. The other thing was this, to take away their protection. So they could see who was in the wagon train. Why does Satan shoot darts or flaming arrows at us to distract you? People are not your problem. The worst person in your life is not your problem. Your battle is not with them. And to take away your protection. Satan wants to hit us with flaming arrows. And he will burn down your protection if you will let him. Because I'm just telling you, based on his word, you cannot put out Satan's flaming arrows. But the shield of faith can. The battle is not yours. The battle is his. If you will only act on his word. If you only put it into practice, God will extinguish the Satan's fiery darts. Listen, when, that, when the, arrows of dart, the, the arrows of guilt come, you know the arrows of guilt, that, that event that you can't get rid of in your mind in your past, that sin that just is haunting you right now, that you're like, I, I don't, it, just, it just haunts me every day and I, I don't know if I'm forgiven and then guilt comes and then shame comes and all of that other stuff. Listen, you cannot extinguish the arrow of guilt and shame on your own. If you could, you would have already done it by now. Right? Only God can. Only the righteousness of Christ. Only the peace of God in your life come. When the arrow of doubt and the arrow of fear come. And that's why Proverbs 35, 30 verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Another piece of the armor is the helmet of salvation. Football players, when, when, they, when they put on a helmet, it gives them a lot of extra confidence, right? That's why there's so many rules in the NFL right now that you cannot use the uh, helmet as, a, as an offensive weapon. You cannot lead with your helmet and you cannot have head to head and all that other stuff. Because it gives a football player added confidence. Listen, the helmet of salvation gives us added confidence in the battle. Do we know who we are in Christ? We know who our identity is. And when those arrows come, it just glances off of the helmet. That's why Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It is a helmet of salvation that allows us 
to focus on Christ even in the midst of a battle. Another piece of the armor is the sword of the Spirit. Now listen, uh, a Roman soldier carried two different swords. They carried a long sword that could be, could be five to ten feet long, and then they carried a short sword that was a dagger that could be as short from eight to ten inches long. And, and this, is, this is what he's referring to. He's referring to the dagger here. He's referring to the short sword. This, this was one of the most deadly ones that a Roman soldier would carry because it was used for hand-to-hand combat. It was used to face-to-face. And it was considered to be a deadly weapon. And, and Paul wanted us to understand for sure what, he under, what, what, what the sword of the Spirit meant because he came back and said, just so we're tracking, it's the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12, he writes, he says, watch this, for the Word of God is living and active. Isn't that true about his Word? And the more you study his word, the more it speaks to his, the more you keep plumbing the depths of his word and it never gets old and never gets bored. I could stick you in a room and we could study all the works of Shakespeare for about a year and you'd, you'd want to claw your eyes out. Not true with his word, right? It is living and active and it speaks and he goes on and it's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the divisions Division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. What's interesting is, is in this word, the, for the word of God, that phrase, but the word word is, comes from a Greek word that's an interesting Greek word. The Greek word is rhema. And so he's not talking about a book as much as he's talking about that the word of God is the rhema of God. It's the utterance of God. It is God's word and it speaks to us. See, Paul is talking about something deeper. He's talking about the utterance of God. He's talking about the Word of God. Paul is talking about not just the existence of the Word, but the Word speaks into our life and we act on it. The best example that I can give of this is remember when when Satan was tempting Jesus in the desert. And Jesus Jesus didn't attack him. Jesus didn't go on the offensive. Jesus didn't dialogue with him and debate him and argue with him and all that other stuff. You know what Jesus said? The rhema. It is written. It is written. It is written. But the problem is, if you don't know the Word of God well enough to use it against Satan, no wonder you get defeated. No wonder you have no authority because the authority of your life is in the Word. Listen, I'm I'm just telling you, I'm I'm a huge Word guy. Because when I came to Christ... My life was a wreck. And I took the rhema. And it changed my life. Because His Word is living and active. Let me just ask you, what what is your relationship right now to this book? Because it says everything about you and everything about you spiritually. What... Do you believe this is the rhema of God? Do you believe this is absolute truth? And it speaks. The Bible points to life. Listen, just because you read this book doesn't make you a Christian. But this Bible points to the fact that without Christ, our sins have separated us from God. And it points to the fact that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the perfect one, the perfect lamb, went to the cross and he bled and he died for us. 
And through a relationship with Him, we have the righteousness of Christ. And we're totally and completely forgiven. And reading through this book, Life Journaling, that's why we life journal. Because it, it, it forces you in a year to read, to read all of the Bible. If, if I didn't have a reading plan, I'd read only the parts I liked, right? If you've been life journaling with us, you know we've been reading through Leviticus. You're like, you know, and I'm reading some mornings. Oh, Lord, I know there's, some, I know there's something here for me. I'm not, I'm not seeing it right now. There's other mornings I read through Leviticus living and active and God gives me something. That's why you're in community. That's why you should be in community. That's why you should be in life groups. So when you life journal through the hard parts of the Bible, so part of the Bible that you don't understand, you can ask someone, hey, what is up with this? Help me understand this. I cannot tell you how many times I don't understand life journaling. I just don't. I don't understand a reading plan. I don't. I don't understand how God knows exactly where I'm going to be on that given day when I'm going to read those verses. And it just speaks into my life. Or the number of times that I've life journaled and I've met someone or talked with someone and they've said something and I've said, oh, you're not going to believe this. I just read about that this morning in life journaling. That word wasn't so much for you. That word was, for me, that word was for you. I tell you, there's been times that I've read this book and it's living and it's active and he speaks into my life and I say, oh God, I'm so sorry for that attitude. I'm so sorry for that action. I'm telling you, his word is true. And we have to come to the place to just understand His word is living and active. And it's the rhema of God. And the last thing I have for you this morning is this. We're called to be continually alert. Watch this in verse 18, because what Paul would say, because the days are the days are evil. Verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, here he goes, keep alert. With all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. In other words, we don't leave the, leave the house. We don't go out of the house on our own. It means we place some spiritual priorities in life. And church is one of those spiritual priorities. We understand the importance of that. We understand the priority of that. That we don't give up the meeting together and worshiping together. We understand the, the priority of prayer. and We understand the priority of, of being in ministry. We understand the priority of a life group to where, where, where we come together with some believers that encourage us and pray for us and all of those other things to where we life journal and we, just, we start learning how to, how, to, how to hear from Him because the days are evil. Here a while back, it was last golf season actually, a pastor friend of mine in Colorado Springs called me and said, hey, he says, I got some coupons at a country club that I, get, I can go play. You want to come play golf with me? I said, let me pray about it. Yes. And so uh, <laughs> I said, I'm in. And so uh, we got there and, and they, they, they put two other men uh, with us. And so, you know what? We're, we're coming to the back nine. We're making the turn. And we get to that place that all golfers get to at some point when you've met each other for the first time. They say, hey, what do you do? So he says, hey, we're, we're two preachers. And they go, oh, cool. <laughs> and they kind of laughed and said... Well, what do you guys do? And they says, well, we're DEA agents. I go, really? I th yeah, they go, yeah, this is a kind of a weird mix, pastors and, and DEA agents. And I said, yeah. And so, 
So uh, one guy says, yeah, you know, we're kind of weird because we're DEA agents and we know everything that's going on. In fact, is I don't, I don't want to make it uncomfortable for you guys uh, because of, I know the threats that are going on right now. I carry a gun everywhere I go. And so that kind of caught me by surprise, and he's in golf shirts, a golf short and golf shirt. And so I looked over at him and says, you carrying a gun right now? And he points to his golf bag, and he says, yeah. And he told me how many guns and how many rounds of ammunition, how many clips and all this other stuff. And so I looked at him and says, you know what? The way I play golf probably wouldn't be safe if I carried a gun. Uh, <laughs> I'd probably destroy my clubs for real. <laughs> what Paul is saying is this, when you know the threat, when you know the threat, when you know the spiritual battle is real, you'll stay alert with all perseverance. You won't become complacent. Why do we stay alert? Because we can fail. Paul said in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he falls. Satan is a relentless enemy. When he tempted Jesus, he, he decided. He decided, you know what? I'll just come back. I'll come back later at a more opportune season. So one of the reasons we stay alert, because we can fail, regardless of how mature we think we are, regardless of how Christ-centered we think we are. The other thing, the reason we stay alert, it's just overwhelming to me, is because of the opportunities that could be missed. That's why we don't miss church. That's why we don't miss meeting together, because of spiritual opportunities that may be missed. A lot of people say, well, wait a minute, how about the prodigal son? The prodigal son left, left, prodigal son comes back, and he was accepted, and all of that other stuff. Yes, but how many opportunities did he miss while he was away? Did his mom die while he was away? We never, we never read about mom. When he was in rebellion, when he refused to call her, email her, text message her, all those other things... Did she pass away? How many celebrations did he miss? How many retirement parties, celebration, birthday parties, family gatherings did he did he How about his high school sweetheart? Did she finally just give up? Marry and move on. Every day we have a fresh opportunity with him. And one of the reasons that we stay alert is because Satan is stepping up his level of attack. Revelation 12, 12 says this. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in a great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Closer we get to the end times, the more intense we're going to see wickedness. We're watching Satan capture one stronghold after another. Our nation's leaders keep talking that our world is, our nation is about ready to come unraveled. It's not going to take much more. We're listening to world leaders talk about how fragile our world is. We're watching from a national level and a world level. We're watching the world turn against Christians right now. We all may have seen the video or heard the news footage or watched it on YouTube or whatever. When they marched, 21 Egyptian Christian men out to the shores of the Mediterranean Sea laid their heads over a sword and decapitated them while they professed the name of Jesus Christ. And we've become so complacent in this world 
that we become casual Christians. And this is no time for casual Christians. This is no time for casual churches. And we sit over here and we say, I cannot believe God wants me to get baptized after I meet Christ. I'm not going to get wet in front of a bunch of people. That'd be just awkward. <laughs> I'm not going to be, make the worship and the gathering together a priority in my life. That'd be an imposition. Reading his word every day, isn't that being a little radical? I'm telling you, this is no time for casual Christians and casual churches. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Let me ask you real quickly, what is God saying to you as a result of his message? What is he saying to you? What is your next step? Maybe you've never come to the place to where you've accepted him and asked him to come into your life. This would be the time, this would be the moment to do that. Or maybe for the first time in your life, you've realized that your sins have separated you from him. That you need forgiveness. That you need the righteousness of Christ. There's no magic prayer. There's no magic words. It's just in your own words. Just asking him to come into my life that I know my sins have separated me from, you, from God. And I just ask that you come into my life, forgive me of my sins. For those of us that are believers, are you alert? Or you become complacent? You become a casual Christian? What is your next step? Every one of us has a next step. Maybe you're here this morning and say, you know what, I'm just carrying a burden. And I just need someone to, to pray for me. We want to pray for you, we really do. But if you're carrying a burden... And you'd say, you need prayer. And you know what? You don't need to be embarrassed that you need prayer. Every one of us needs prayer. I need prayer. You need prayer. The Apostle Paul asked for prayer all the time in the New Testament. Every one of us in this room needs prayer. So you don't need to be embarrassed. But if you're carrying a burden, say, you know what? I just need some prayer. Here's what we're going to ask you to do. That after I pray, we're going to stand. If you need prayer in any area of your life, as, as you stand after I pray, I'm just going to ask that you stand up, step out, and begin making your way down to the front. Have some prayer partners down here. We'd love to pray for you. You don't have to be a member of this church. This isn't about membership. This is about ministering one to another. This is about us adding our faith to your faith to encourage and support you. So if you need prayer, you come after I pray. Father, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you for the power of your word and the power of your name. And Father, we just ask that you take total control of this service as you have. And that people would just respond to you, that people would take the next step, whether it's to meet you, whether it's to be alert, or whether it's to respond in prayer, that we'd minister to one another. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please?